Intrusion detection and prevention. What are some of the latest strategies and threats? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm conducting a panel discussion on this topic today. I'm privileged to be joined by Rob Ayub, Global Program Director of Network Security with Frost and Sullivan North America, and Kevin Prince, Chief Technology Officer with Perimeter Security. Rob, Kevin, thanks so much for taking time to sit with me today. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Rob, why don't you get started and tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do with Frost and Sullivan. Sure thing. Uh, my name is Rob Ayub, and I'm the Global Program Director of Network Security Research at Frost and Sullivan. And in that role, I direct our global team of analysts. Uh, we have analysts all across the globe and on the ground in numerous countries in their research efforts around various topics in network security. So we, uh, we as, a, as, a, as a division cover markets ranging from the traditional security devices such as firewalls and intrusion detection devices and network access control and endpoint all the way to new and up, upcoming um, markets such as, as mobile security um, and, uh, and, and IT policy compliance and managed services. So we, we cover a broad, rate, broad range of, of security topics, and uh, you know my goal and, and my role is to keep the team on task and to, to keep my finger on the pulse of industry myself. Very good. And Kevin, the same for you, if you could just give us a few minutes of introduction. Sure. Well, my name is Kevin Prince. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Perimeter East Security. We're a managed security service provider. We offer um, services such as managed firewalls, intrusion detection, prevention, web content filtering, all the way to things like audits and e-security training and just a variety of, of other things, everything in the information security space, everything from in the cloud security to network security to host-based security solutions. And so, um, you know, we're, we're very much focused in that space, primarily in the financial services uh, arena, but have customers in pretty much every vertical and, uh, and every size as well. Very good. Well, we'll start talking about this. Rob, in your introduction, you talked about your global vantage point where you get to see what's happening really in all the marketplaces. As you look around, what do you see now as the top threats in terms of intrusion detection and prevention? You know, it, it's a great question, and and it, it really doesn't necessarily differ that much on a, on a global perspective. But, you know, I think what, what we see the most is the biggest driver right now is that there's there's still a constant just flood of new vulnerabilities being discovered and released every day. Uh, when we looked at what happened with, with the attacks on Google China, if you look at any of the, the vendor websites, I mean, there's just a constant stream of vulnerabilities that are, are being being cranked out, and, and some of those are coming from vendors, some are from independent researchers, and even though the industry as a whole has really done done a lot to to patch their operating systems, to, you know, we hear uh, Microsoft Tuesday, and a lot of the large vendors have worked really hard. You know, the truth of the matter is there's so many systems out there and so many varieties of, of vulnerabilities against those systems that it, it's it's virtually impossible to keep everything patched all the time. And, and to, from what we see, that really is what, what's driving intrusion prevention still today. I think there was a time when when uh, some industry folks really thought that this uh, 
that this technology would go away, it'd be maybe subsumed by firewalls or, or different products. And the truth of the matter is there's just so many systems and the attacks are still happening. Hackers are still trying to get into people's networks however they can. And, and in fact, we see more attacks on more obscure applications every day. And that's, that's what we see is really driving the need for intrusion detection prevention is that you know, there, there's still plenty of vulnerabilities and plenty of attacks. Well, Kevin, you strike me as a bit more in the trenches with your work, and particularly in financial services. So what do you see now through the eyes of your customers? Well, I mean, what Rob said is, is certainly true. We're, we're, we have not ever seen a uh, any kind of a reduction in inbound attacks, uh, of which really uh, intrusion detection prevention systems were originally designed to, to capture. So while the need is to have those devices is there more than ever, you know, we're, we're also seeing the, the hackers and these, these cyber criminals taking different approaches to compromising systems where they used to solely go after these vulnerabilities that Rob was talking about, and there are a slew of them every day that are out there. Um, there's also the same vulnerabilities exist on the inside computers and systems, and they're using these uh, different kind of attack methods to go after those internal systems as opposed to just purely external uh, compromise. And so if they can get an, a computer on the inside to be compromised, they have ways that they can actually bypass or um, otherwise subvert these intrusion detection prevention systems and firewalls. In fact, we've been pretty successful, I think, over the years, limiting, uh, you can't stop, but limiting the, the success of some of these cyber criminals through the use of firewalls and intrusion detection prevention devices. And so they've kind of turned the tables a little bit and are going after internal systems. Uh, it, they're still using vulnerability exploit to do it primarily, but in many cases, these users on the inside are compromising their own systems. So if they go out to a website that has been compromised, again, primarily through vulnerability uh, exploit, uh, the hacker could get malware or other some kind of malicious software loaded on that system and now as a result of that the uh, the hacker can use encryption techniques or other very sophisticated attack methods to bypass the IDS uh, and IPS as well as the firewall. So you know while the technology of IDS IPS is critical and in every way we've ever used it is still necessary we also see a need to do more intrusion detection prevention on the hosts and individual endpoints themselves. Now, I've got some questions here I want to ask of both of you. What I'll do is I'll toss it to one first, and then the other can respond. Uh, Rob, first question I'll direct to you first. How do you see that organizations are best responding to these threats, and maybe on the other side how they're least responding as well? Where are they strong? Where are they weak? Sure, you know, and this ties in very, very nicely to what Kevin was just saying, and that that sort of end-to-end -end approach to IDS-IPS. And you know, what we've seen is that a lot of organizations are realizing that, and part of that's driven by the vendor community as well. But we're certainly seeing in our discussions with customers that a lot more awareness of end-to-end, -end, a lot more awareness that. I can't just rely on network-based IPS. I must go to the host level. Um, in a lot of cases, we're seeing a lot of interest in, in virtualized environments. And customers, there's a number of customers that are being very proactive about, hey, I have a virtualized environment. I need to figure out how I'm going to run IPS in that environment. So 
I think I think that from the positive side, there's a lot of organizations that are being proactive that are on ahead of the curve in a lot of ways and are implementing best practices. On the flip side, and, and this has become particularly evident with the with the recession, there's also tons and tons of companies that you, you basically have put strain on their security spending, on their security departments, have fired folks, have moved folks from, um, uh, you know, maybe from security to a more general IT function. And for all our, as an industry, for all our, our work at awareness, I think in the last year we've seen just whole sections of, of budgets and industry really take a hit. And a lot of those those you know best practices have really come under strain at a lot of companies just because they don't have the resources to implement it. So, you know, I I think that that a lot of companies are struggling with that second piece right now. Um, I think there's a lot of folks thinking about the right things, but the budget to implement are just is just strained to the point that a lot of uh, CSOs and CISOs really can only just hold on at this point and and hope things turn around before something major happens. Kevin, I welcome your take on that. Oh, I totally agree with Rob. I think that that summed it up pretty nicely. You've got those uh, organizations who know what they need to do, know what they want to do, have it planned out, and just simply don't have the budget dollars to spend on it right now. But if they did, they likely would do the right things. We still see a lot of organizations that kind of are, uh, you know, uh, several years behind in perhaps their thinking that are, you know, really just still under the impression that a firewall and a network-based IDS IPS is all they need, and they're effectively secured from that. Unfortunately, that's just not the case. But but the trend is that they're getting um, greater and greater knowledge about the, the true threat landscape, where they need to implement these things, and and now that, you know, with the recession, you know, looking like it's a little bit on the upturn, uh, hopefully it will help fund some more of those initiatives to help people put the right solutions in the right places to best mitigate their risk. Now, Kevin, I know you work a lot with financial services, which certainly has a big target on it, but as you step back and look across sectors, which industries do you see as being most vulnerable to intrusion? Well, it depends on how you're looking at that. I mean, there are certainly any industry that houses uh, private sensitive data, anything that could be used for identity theft or fraud, those are the industries that have the big targets painted on them because that's what the uh, the, the hackers and the cyber criminals really, really want at the end of the day. So, um, uh, you know, healthcare is a, a big one for that. Retail is a, a big one. And of course, financial services where we have a, a big play. And so those are big ones, and there are other ones as well, but that's it. Now, as far as what you really asked is, who is most vulnerable? I mean, they're the ones with the biggest targets, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're most vulnerable. I mean, in, as we look at different industries and, and, and work with different uh, organizations, it seems to me like financial industry, the, the financial services companies are actually uh, better prepared. I don't want to say worlds or heads and shoulders better prepared, but they are by and large uh, better prepared and are less vulnerable. They have more uh, solutions in place. They're doing more things to mitigate their risk than other organizations. Um, healthcare 
is is behind, and retail is, is really far behind. Even with uh, the whole PCI DSS standards and and all, with all of that, especially smaller financial or, or smaller uh, retail establishments really are struggling getting uh, their their arms around security. So they're probably most vulnerable to it, and they also have the the data uh, that that these um, criminals want. And Rob, I welcome your perspective on this, and uh, don't leave out the private sector as well. Governments as well must uh, have targets upon them. Right. Well, and that's you know I definitely agree with a lot of what Kevin Kevin has said. I my thought on it though is that the industries that are are most vulnerable, the ones that that haven't traditionally been seen as housing private data, but now are you know people are figuring out that they do. You look at you know some of education in particular. I, I know we've seen um, you know I, there, there's a lot of, of breaches that have happened at the university level, and there's a lot of data being housed there that hasn't always been seen as, as a target. Um, I know, and you know, you mentioned government. Of course, there, there's tons and tons of, of, of sensitive data held there, and you know, I think there's always been the assumption that when you said the government, it was the the military the highly secure military networks come to mind, but obviously the the sort of state and local, uh, we, we hear constantly that they're very far behind in implement, implementing security compared to even the federal government. So, you know, I, I think, I totally agree with, Gev, with, with Kevin, it's, it's about, you know, who has data that's sensitive, by, you know, in my mind and, and from what we've seen time and time again, it, it has a lot to do with you know, the realization, when did the realization come that our industry actually had data that people care about? And um, you're seeing, you're seeing I, you know, I feel like we're seeing some changes in that that, you know, I, I know some folks in real estate and, and I've seen some positive things starting to happen, but it's, it's still uh, quite far behind financial services, healthcare, and some of the other, uh, some of the other industries that have been under attack for a while. Jim, let's talk about myths and realities. Rob, as you look at the marketplace, what do you see as some of the, the prominent myths and realities about intrusion detection and prevention? That, that's another really great question. Um, you know, I think the biggest myth that we run into still is that, that intrusion detection and, and, and prevention is, is simple. Um, that it's something you set up, it's like firewall rules, you set it up and you leave it. And you know, the truth of the matter is the, the attacks are always changing, your devices are always going to require tuning, and there's no, and, and somebody has to be monitoring the logs and, and watching the devices. That, you know, there just is no magic bullet, and for all the advancements we've seen in behavior, de behavior detection technologies and, and uh, automatic adaptation to signatures, you know, I think the biggest myth that, that we still see propagated is that this is easy. Um, you know, I, that's kind of the biggest we see. You know, the the second myth that we see frequently goes back to a uh, point Kevin made earlier, and that's the sort of uh, myth that that if we just have a network-based box, that that protects us all the way through the endpoint. And you know, that's just not true either. And 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 that's a that's a huge myth that us that our industry still. Uh, propagates and, and that we battle every day. Hey, Kevin, what do you see as some of the myths and realities that you deal with? Well, I think Rob hit the, the two big ones right on, on the head. 
Um, it's not easy. IBSs have to be continually fine-tuned. If people are not uh, doing the management and monitoring 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're just simply not effective and they're just not protecting you. And so that's one, but even the, the bigger one in my mind is that, um, you know, the idea that, that, that they're 100% effective uh, all by themselves with a network-based IDS. It just doesn't work that way. There are just so many attack methods that can completely bypass IDS, IPS, uh, network-based ones, and, and, uh, and firewalls, uh, whether it's the use of encryption or more sophisticated attack methods, um, you know, they, they just can do that. And so you have to think much deeper and broader than um, just the IDS-IPS to keep your information safe, especially right down to the, the endpoint. Um, so the, the reality is we have to be doing a lot more than, than what we're doing today. And that's, uh, and, you know, I, I think more and more people are getting that. But like we talked about before, the, uh, the budgets are, are one of the things that are holding people back. Well, interesting that you, you talk about doing more because that was my next question. Rob, I wanted to ask you, as you look at the marketplace, where do you see opportunities for the vendors and the practitioners to be doing a better job at intrusion detection and prevention? On the vendor side, I, you know, I, I think the vendors have definitely done a good job, um, but there's, there's still some confusion, and especially as a lot of the vendors are moving towards a more unified approach, a unified platform or unified threat management, as UTMs, as, as, as those devices are called, um, I think the vendors have, have muddied the waters a little bit in terms of exactly what Kevin was pointing out, and that is the, what are the true capabilities of IDS-IPS in regards to some of the other products out there. And... Um, you know, I, I don't doubt that, that someday we will have boxes that can basically do it all, but there still is a lot of differentiation that has to be done by the customer between, you know, what, what is protected by an IDS, IPS, and firewall versus what, what is protected by some other technologies, things like data, data loss prevention, so the endpoint encryption. And, and so I think that, you know, especially the vendor community, there's no doubt that the capabilities have improved, but the vendors, I feel, have muddied the waters a little bit in their, in their, um, as they work and may create better devices. And, and you know, I think some clarity and and uh, is going to be necessary moving forward. And Kevin, your thoughts on what some of the thought leaders, the analysts, and even the instructors could be doing to do a better job in helping prepare people for intrusion detection and prevention. Uh, sure. I mean, education is part of the, the big thing, helping them uh, realize what it can do, the benefit it is providing for an organization, and then, you know, really what it's not doing and, and the gaps that still exist and, and how best to fill those gaps. When you, when you look at it, you, I kind of see vendors going in a couple of different directions. There are the vendors that are really touting cloud-based security, everything in the cloud, uh, SaaS-based models and all of that. And then you have other vendors that are, um, you know, talking about endpoint security and, and everything right on the host and, and all of that. And in reality, they're both right and they're both wrong at the same time. You know, you, you need to have the security mitigation. You need to be able to detect and block the attack where it's trying to be performed at, which is oftentimes these days on the endpoint, not so much in the network as much anymore. So it's on the endpoint. 
But at the same time, if you solely focus on the endpoint, then you're missing a lot of the visibility, the management, the monitoring, the compliance reporting, and all of that, which is really the, the great story about the cloud-based offerings and the SaaS-based offerings. So really what I think we're moving in the direction of is people that are combining the best of both of those worlds, where putting the mitigation uh, software or the solution where that needs to be, but having all of that roll up into a cloud-based, SaaS-based offering for better visibility, management, monitoring, and reporting. And, and as analysts and instructors and everybody start moving the market towards more of that thought process, I think we're going to have better solutions because we have no shortage of solutions today. They're all great, but having them be better mapped and better fit to these organizations to have them get the best of both of those worlds. Kevin, a final question for you. If you could boil it down and offer a couple of bits of advice to organizations that are trying to get a better handle on intrusions, what would you advise? Well, I would say you got to talk to somebody who knows uh, and understands information security and can look at their... Uh, their network, what they've done today, the risk and security elements uh, that they've put in place, and then try to identify those gaps in their security and then recommend solutions that best fill those gaps. Likely what we're seeing as, as we do this is, is those gaps exist on many of the critical endpoints, those mission critical systems, whether they be public facing uh, servers or uh, databases or, or servers that have uh, customer information, employee information, other sensitive data, uh, servers that have account data, you know, these mission critical systems that if they were compromised would be very problematic for an organization probably doing more on those individual systems is uh, uh, probably a critical piece, something like a host-based intrusion detection and prevention. But again, it's tough to generalize because every network is different. Everybody has their own unique things. Everybody's done different things to date. And you just need to look at what you have done and then make the right decisions based on your budget and the solutions that will help uh, best mitigate your risk. Very good. Rob, last words. Your bits of advice for organizations that are trying to do a better job. Sure. I, you know, I, I think Kevin really hit it on the head, but it, looking past your vendors, and as much as I, I certainly appreciate and, and, and think that the vendors are, are trying to do the right thing, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's your network, and you, you know it's the best, and you have to... Uh, rely either on your own internal expertise or or even working with maybe a consultant or some third party um, as you're going through the process of choosing vendors and choosing solutions. There's just there are a number of really great solutions out there, but at the same time, uh, you know that it's those solutions really have their strengths in different verticals, in dif different applications, in different situations. And I think that any organization that's tackling security. Um, that you know, at the end of the day, to a certain extent, they need to rely on on what they know of their own network, and and, and can't sim simply cannot just uh, be uh, you know just go to one vendor and, and hope that it solves all their problems. Very good, Rob, Kevin. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We've been talking with Rob Ayub. We've been talking with Kevin Prince. The topic has been intrusion detection and prevention. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.